Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon. Hope everyone had a restful and nice Thanksgiving with their friends and family. We were off last week for the holiday, but we are back this week. So much to break down. College football went into overdrive last week. Coaches did it, definitely did not take the Thanksgiving holiday off. And then, of course, succession at the end with my friend J.R. Bascom as things are really heating up for the entire Roy family. But first, have to talk college football. We're going to get to the coaching changes first, but quickly to run down the big games from uh, the last week. The, the game, the biggest rivalry in college football, Michigan-Ohio State. Coach Harbaugh coaching for his, seemingly for his job uh, that Saturday. They got to host Ohio State. Ohio State's high-flying offense led by C.J. Stroud, quarterback, Heisman contender. You know, Ohio State, we knew that they would be able to score points, and we knew that things would have to go Michigan's way for them to really be able to to outscore Ohio State because Michigan is good at a lot of things, but under Coach Harbaugh, they haven't been the type of team that can really win shootouts. And what Michigan has done this year with quarterback Cade McNamara and redshirt or sorry true freshman five-star J.J. McCarthy is really rely on the running game they don't have a Heisman Trophy contender the way Ohio State does at quarterback who can pass the ball uh, all over the the field and really run up a lot of points Michigan's strength is their offensive line their blocking and their running game with their running backs and Michigan had a unique avenue this year as Ohio State's defensive line while full of five-star prospects are young college players and so they don't have a chase young or a bosa brother who is looks like they could compete in the nfl right now they don't have that this year they may have it next year or in two years and i think they will just with the amount of talent on their defensive line but ohio state had a weakness this year which was running uh which was guarding the run defending against the run and we saw oregon exploit that in week two and that was that was Michigan's strategy. They got help from the weather. It was a cold day in Michigan. Some snow uh, just made running the ball way, way easier. And Michigan ran the ball down Ohio State's uh, defense the entire game. Any chance Ohio State it felt like that they had to, to, to get back in the game and even to, to take all momentum, it was six-plus yard runs pretty consistently the whole day a massive massive win for the Wolverine program and for coach Harbaugh Ohio State now for the first time in Ryan Day's tenure it feels like is on the outside looking in at the college football playoff hunt uh really before the last week it doesn't you know they don't really have a they don't really have a case to be made. They're, they're, they have two losses, two good losses to very good teams. They didn't get upset this year. But losing to Oregon and losing to Michigan with the strength of the top in, in the SEC, undefeated since undefeated Cincinnati, uh, Ohio State is now out of the playoff. Now what this does is it, this now can set up, if we get more into the playoff, really, really potentially interesting and fascinating non-playoff 
New Year's Six B- former BCS Bowl games, which will be really, really fun and exciting to watch. The other big game was we had Oklahoma play Oklahoma State in a thrilling matchup. Caleb Williams, the stud true freshman quarterback for Oklahoma, did everything that he could to keep his team in it and, and, and to win that game. At the end, Oklahoma State did just enough to, to hang on. And now Oklahoma State, for the first time uh, in the college football playoff existence, has a legit case going into conference championship week to make the playoff. So the so the uh, rankings were released this past Tuesday. It is Georgia 1, Michigan 2, Alabama 3, Cincinnati 4. Now you may wonder, hey, Alabama 1, why did Michigan jump over them? Well, Michigan had the best win of the weekend beating Ohio State, and Alabama really struggled against Auburn. That was not a dominant performance. They 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 won the game, and hey, rivalry games are always a little weird. Auburn seemingly always plays them really tough. If you were expecting a 55-point blowout, you weren't really following Alabama football this year, but they got the win, they got the job done, and now sets up a massive game this weekend in SEC Championship. Cincinnati 4, Oklahoma State 5, Notre Dame 6. Really interesting because now Notre Dame at 11-1 and is right on the verge of a potential playoff. And we all know what happened. I'm going to get into in, in a minute here. But this sets up really interesting scenarios for this weekend because of the conference championship matchups, we are guaranteed for some level of uh, chaos and a great debate heading into Sunday for the final uh, release of the rankings, which will now determine who gets to play in the playoffs because we have George against Bama, SC Championship, Saturday, 4 p.m. This is one versus three. George has been the best team all season. They are undefeated. Alabama lost on the road at Texas A&M. If Georgia beats Alabama, Georgia will, will hold on to that top seed but Alabama will be out. They will not make the playoff for, for the second time in Nick Saban's tenure. Uh, they will not be in the playoff. The last time uh, made sense. Tua was hurt. You know, they, they go to a young Mac Jones. That was uh they, they weren't going to make it that, that season after Tua's injury and the loss to LSU. But this is a huge game for, for Alabama. Bryce, uh, Bryce Young, great quarterback. He may win the Heisman, but this is a huge, huge moment. Georgia, the best team in college football. This is the chance. Hey, can Georgia get over the hump? Can Kirby finally beat his former boss, Saban? And so that game's at 4 o'clock. Then Saturday night is Michigan-Iowa in, in the Big Ten Championship. Michigan number two, but Michigan has that loss against Michigan State. So Michigan needs to win, and they are in. The same thing with Georgia. Win and you're in for those two teams. But they they are the last game, so they will be able to know and see all the results that play out. Is that an advantage or is it a disadvantage for this team who hasn't really been in this situation before? Then in the Big 12, at noon, Oklahoma State Baylor. Oklahoma State can put the most pressure on every single team in contention if they take care of business because Baylor at two losses is not going to make the playoff. Baylor's going to play spoiler here. But if Oklahoma State wins, they will be a one-loss conference champion from a Power 5 conference. We know, potentially, that the loser of the SC championship may not make the playoff if they determine, hey, you, we, we only want conference champions. But what this does, if, since, if Oklahoma State wins, is that Cincinnati, even if they're an undefeated conference championship and they are playing uh, 
about the 21st ranked Houston team at four o'clock. If Oklahoma State wins, then the ish, then the debate comes up of one loss Power Five champion versus undefeated Group of Five champion, and who has the best win of the season? Is it Oklahoma State's win over Oklahoma, or is it Cincinnati's win over Notre Dame? I think that Cincinnati's win over Notre Dame is the best win of the season for uh, for most of these teams. It's 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 you know probably second to Michigan's win over Ohio State. Uh but that creates a lot of potential for Cincinnati needs to take care of business. Cincinnati doesn't need to worry about anything. They just need to take care of the only thing that they can control, and that is beating Houston at 4 o'clock. And it will be really interesting to see because at 4 o'clock, when Georgia Alabama is kicking off, when Cincinnati Houston is kicking off, if Notre Dame has a chance for the playoff, because if Oklahoma State loses, Notre Dame moves up to 5, and at 11-1, and one, and they are a big draw ratings-wise, um, because then if Alabama loses, then you have three and five out. Six should logically move up to four. And then Notre Dame can can get in. And that brings up the most fascinating thing of this week is that we had two absolutely major and stunning coaching changes. And I'll start with the Notre Dame coaching change because this was the mo- more surprising, I will say, because Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma – I think everyone knew it would eventually happen. It was stunning how quickly and seemingly how, how quickly it, it happened and the team that, that, that he is going to. But he was, he's been in rumors for NFL jobs since he basically got the Oklahoma job. So I think everyone sort of expected him to eventually depart Oklahoma for a new challenge, a new venture. Brian Kelly this season became the winningest coach in Notre Dame history has made two of the last three college bowl playoffs has made a national championship game. He's rebuilt this program after that humiliation in the national championship game. He's built a legit national program again at Notre Dame and he departs for LSU and a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. This is if this is the time to get into college football coaching. If you are in college football coaching, you are not thinking of a career change right now because Brian Kelly just signed a 10-year deal with 95 million guaranteed, potentially over 100 million in incentives. And the most amazing part is he gets 90% of his uh, remaining contract if he's fired. <laughs> Uh, with cause, and he gets 100% of his remaining money if he's fired without cause. Then this is a school, remind you, LSU has won national championships under Les Miles and Ed o- and Coach O, Ed o- Odron, their last two coaches. They fired both of them. They fired Coach O two years after he won the national championship going 15-0 and maybe the best team in LSU history, maybe the best team in college football history, at least on the offensive side. So Brian Kelly theoretically could go ten and two and nine and three with some bad injury luck and get canned, and still get eighty million dollars, fully you know all of his money. Whoever his agent is, he did a great job, and Kelly's a great football coach. But is this the right fit at at LSU at Notre Dame? If you go eleven and one and finish six in the playoff rankings, that's a great year. You are applauded. You're given an extension. At LSU, they're like, yeah, that's great, but why didn't you beat Alabama? Why didn't you get in, into the playoff? It's seen as sort of this 
good but not good enough. LSU wants to win every single year. They are the true. It's truly national championship or bust because they will fire national championship winning coaches um, very quickly after they reach the mountaintop. And so Kelly's never really had SEC experience. He, ha- he will have to change his recruiting philosophy. Now, not too much. LSU is in a hotbed, uh, but it's way different recruiting against Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and Dabo Sweeney for every single prospect and Jimbo Fisher at Texas a for every single prospect instead of picking and choosing the guys who can go to Notre Dame and who want to go to Notre Dame. It's probably it's tougher to go to Notre Dame to get those kids, but it's probably but it's also tough to convince kids to go to LSU instead of going to Alabama. And so can he really keep the talent's going to be there? Coach Joe's a tremendous recruiter. So is he going to be a recruiting advantage to Coach Joe? Is he going to be just a coach advantage, which which I think he probably will be? But is that enough in the SEC to take him over the top of Coach Saban at Alabama, Georgia, um, all the great programs in 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 the SEC? And like this is going to be really interesting if just can he win enough because it's this is a school that is not afraid to make coaching changes and is not afraid to make controversial decisions and it's going to be really interesting to see if 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 he's able to win enough because he will win games but can he win enough and you know just to talk about the the backlash of how he told the team in a text and then a very very quick interview i don't really I don't think too poorly of it. You know, he definitely was poor form that I think everyone can can agree upon. But teams and schools fire coaches all the time, and players find out that way. I mean, Lane Kiffin was fired on the tarmac once. Like, he owes his players better, but it's, again, a reminder that this is, this is a business. This is not an amateur sport. The guy just got $100 million. There's nothing amateur about this and it's you know how much better or long you know want to open up to to questions i mean like the answer is they were going to pay him a hundred million dollars and notre dame wasn't like that's what it came down to and the only thing he could have done better was that team meeting was at seven in the morning like make it like 10 in the morning like let the guys sleep in there it's it's an off week they're not playing (laughs) um and there's the crazy part is he's leaving the team six days before they may make the playoff again in back-to-back seasons in three and four years. Like, coaches leave all the time, and they usually, some even leave before big bowl games. But this is a crazy precedent to set that, like, yeah, you guys can make the playoff, but I have to go start recruiting. Like, isn't the most obvious answer and solution is to just push back the early signing period date to the week or two weeks after the national championship so that this stuff doesn't happen like why are we making these kids commit in early december in the early signing period just make it January. just push everything back a month like if we don't want because these kids who are committed or considering schools now only have two weeks to figure out all like the coaching carousel stuff and coaches more coaches will be fired and change jobs as december goes on like it's unfair to the high school kids who are getting recruited and it's, unf- you know, then you have the coaches who are literally quitting on the team because, like, 
Coach Kelly has to recruit in, in his mind at LSU. But this is a team that could not just make the playoff. They could win the national championship depending on, on how it all sh- shakes out. So just a completely bizarre turn of events there because it's not like what Lincoln Riley did. Now we're going to talk about him. He leaves Oklahoma for USC for a huge package. Um, but Oklahoma's not making the playoff. They're going to make a bowl game, a big bowl game, but it's not a playoff game. He did what most coaches do, which is that you leave then. And this was the classic, well, the first I heard from USC was early Sunday morning. Well, they're not going to give you all this stuff and all this money and have you leave Oklahoma in a 10-hour conversation or a three-hour conversation. This is the classic. My agent was talking to them for a while the way that he has probably talked to dozens of schools and NFL teams about Lincoln Riley's interest. There was clearly something about USC that really interested Lincoln Riley, really interested his family, that made him keep those negotiations going. And what, in the immediate sense, is that his hiring legitimizes USC again as a legit national football contender. The Trojans are back. Um... It is really interesting to see that Oklahoma, that the reporting was, was that they uh, is that they decided not to match the offer USC gave, which is very similar to seemingly the, the Notre Dame. USC must have given Lincoln Riley everything under the sun um, to get him to, to take this job. And that's, you know, they're losing a, a top coach, but Oklahoma is a blue blood program. They should be fine in, in, in the long term. Next year, they, they may struggle a bit, but Oklahoma should be totally fine. What now is the challenge for Lincoln Riley is he inherited an Oklahoma program in great standing from Coach Bob Stoops. He is now taking over a program at USC that has a lot of challenges and a lot of work to do. From talent, reports about culture, um, an athletic department in, in turmoil with multiple athletic directors the last five years, multiple school presidents, two different FBI investigations into the into the recruiting practices of the USC athletic department. Um, he has a lot. This is a not build from the ground up, but this is a complete rebuild in a way, which would be really cool to see how does Lincoln Riley build a program in his image. And we already know what he's going to do. Lincoln Riley is a great recruiter, and he has always recruited Southern California well. So the key question will be how many elite 2022 and 2023 Southern California recruits can Lincoln Riley get to to join him at USC? He's already gotten a couple. Four-star running back Relique Brown from Matter Day. Malachi Nelson, five-star quarterback um, from, from Southern California in the 2023 class have both committed to to USC. A lot of guys have decommitted from Oklahoma to be seen, but he needs to dominate this recruiting territory. The Southwest needs to be USC's, and particularly Southern California. They need to get recommitments from from guys who have decommitted under the previous coach. Um, And he he can be exciting nationally. Lincoln Riley not just did well in Southern California, but he did well nationally. Can they make USC a fun, exciting, national... Um, brand again because they should be able to dominate the Pac-12. Oregon is their main contender, also led by a lead recruiter in uh, Mario Cristobal, who's done great in Southern California. A lot of the best players on their team are from Southern California. And now the thing to remember is Lincoln Riley is not just going to put a circle around and say every single kid's going to go to USC. They just don't have enough roster spots, scholarships, 
all that stuff. But you have to keep 50-ish percent to 60% of the top Southern California players in Southern California. You may lose one or two to Ohio State, Bama, Oregon. You know, there's gonna there's other great programs. They're gonna make legit great sales pitches too. But you gotta try to keep as many home as you can and do better than Clay Helton has done, especially, especially with the top, top end talent and especially the top end quarterbacks who we have seen flee Southern California from Bryce Young going to Bama, DJ Uigalalele going to Clemson, CJ Stroud going to Ohio State. Guys are leaving Southern California. This should be a Southern California quarterback should be a USC uh, should be a USC win nine and a half times out of ten. And the thing that he really needs to do, which will be really interesting, is Dante Williams, who is the interim coach, is known as one of the best recruiters in college football. And if you read any of what USC recruits say, is that they love this guy. He's a great coach. He's a defensive back coach, great coach, great recruiter. They need to keep him on staff to just try to have some turnover. And also because if he leaves, he's going to be recruiting kids who you want anyway. Like you just have to say, hey, even though I got the job and you were the interim, I'm sure you were interested, make him an offer he cannot say no to. Now, if he wants to go to Alabama, if he wants to go to Oregon, if he wants to go to a completely different school and cut ties, totally understand. Lincoln Riley and USC should make him an offer he can't refuse because he was instrumental in USC's 2021 recruiting class, which was pretty strong, and was instrumental in the 2022 class and building it before Helton got fired and all this turmoil. So it will be really interesting to see what Lincoln Riley can do. The recruiting wins are already coming, and the thing to remember is recruiting Wins don't just happen overnight. It's not going to be like tomorrow he's going to get nine commits and they're going to roll out the balls and go win the national championship. This is going to be a multi-year approach, building the program, building the offensive and defensive lines, getting skill position guys, developing players, because just because someone has four or five stars does not mean they're ready to play 80 snaps at left tackle. You know, they need to be developed. Um, and it, it's going to be really interesting to see because USC is back. College football is better when, when USC is back. Um, and it's going to be really, really exciting to see what happens there. And just quickly, as, as I read now, Notre Dame has officially announced their new head coach, um, which is a really, really good hire. Pumped to see that they kept it in-house and that they didn't go with a big uh, marquee hire from a different team. They, they announced Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator, is the head football coach. Tremendous recruiter. Uh, there's a video going around that uh, – of, of the announcement and the team going crazy. All the recruits were saying, we're going to stick with it if he's the coach. That's always great to see. Get a player's coach there. Notre Dame should be good in the years going forward. So a lot going on in college football. Great games this weekend. If you can catch all four, that's great. But if not, Georgia, Bama is probably the one to watch at 4 o'clock. But I'm going to hit the music and come back with the succession recap you guys have all been waiting for. All right, joining me now. We took a week off for Thanksgiving, but the Roys to take the Roys take no time off. We are back. Succession, my friend Jared Baskin. We're gonna recap two episodes this week. We're gonna do episode six pretty quickly, and then we're gonna get really into episode seven where uh, a lot of stuff happened. But first and foremost, Jr., how are you doing? 
Good morning, David Dixon. I'm doing great. I'm all caught up on Secession. I'm also all caught up on Gossip Girl. We can do another podcast for Gossip Girl because there's a lot to unpack there. But I'm feeling, I'm feeling very intrigued based on what where we left off the last episode. Um, but doing great. Always happy to be back. And glad I am here for a double feature. A little bit of an ode to the double-double, if you will. Very true. So episode six, we see the president, you know, at, at, at the end of episode five, the president, who they call the Raisin, has, has resigned. So episode six is the ATN primary, the, the Roy family, and specifically Logan, um, is choosing the next president. And as crazy as that sounds, um, and terrifying in, in, in some ways, they they did it really well. So so they go to this conference in Virginia with all these Republican right wing voices, and they all end up meeting with Logan and the Roy family. And this is Logan at his peak. He is controlling the whole board and all the players. A power broker. Tom is getting used to and preparing himself for for potential prison sentence by eating diner food. Um, love, love it. Brings Greg along with him as Greg thinks that that he may be joining him in prison. There's some Greg and Tom behind the scenes. Maybe get Tom to join Kendall, uh, which leads to my favorite scene of, of the whole episode. And then Shiv and her family is the big one. We start seeing Roman as more of a power player, choosing uh, and being more in line with, with what his dad wants. And Shiv is more and more of an outsider every single week getting become like Kendall and it leads to at the end she refuses to take a family picture with the Logan's choice for the next president which is a another right-wing Nazi sympathizer and Shiv uh doesn't want to take the picture which leads to a great line which we will get into in the in the quote of the week and then episode seven Kendall's birthday that pretty much explains the whole episode, but Kendall's birthday, um, a lot goes on. We'll, we'll get more into episode seven, but uh, that 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 pretty much recaps it. It's it, it goes about as well as you would think Kendall's birthday w- would go. So, episode six, what were your initial thoughts and and reactions from this from this conference in in Virginia? You know, we we really do see the reemergence of the quintessential Logan Roy. He's back at the helm of power. You know, the, the last couple episodes, he's kind of floundering. He doesn't really know what's going on. We see him wavering a little bit, not in his confidence because good, good God, that's, that's at an all time high at all points, but, but really in where he's positioned on the chessboard, he's, he's back at the helm. He's back at the helm. He's at a conference. He's picking the leader of the free world, which is somewhat ironic. And he's calling the shots. The new candidates or the potential presidents are all coming to him. His kids are all trying to coalesce around him, sans Kendall, for obvious reasons. And it's really embodied, I think, where he comes back into the fold by Tom saying no i'm with logan and it, it, it was so 
emblematic of where Logan sits now because the last couple episodes, everybody's splintering off, everybody's falling out of line, and everybody, including the one and only Tom Wanskins, is now back in line, marching to the beat of the same drum, and they're all behind Logan, and and he's right back where he he's comfortable. Yeah, I mean, think about where we saw Logan in episode five. He's having the the UTI. He's hallucinating dead cat, you know, imaginary dead cat under his chair. And now he's back. This is this is the Logan Roy experience. And again, we see not Kendall, but we see Shiv and Roman battling for Logan's attention for his love and mainly just for his approval and he has tasked his you know if you think about it like a game of chess his pawns to go out and kind of bring him the best candidates who who are the the best candidates and Connor you know says himself but um Shiv and Roman choose different sides there's there's the vice president who um, is not necessarily up in the same way. You know, he's kind of like the safe choice. There's uh, Salgado, who is Shiv's choice, and she makes it very, very clear that that's his choice. And then there's uh, the firebrand Menken, who is uh, – more of Logan's speed, let's just say. Um, <laughs> definitely, definitely someone who's who's more of an extremist policy-wise, um, and definitely fits the ATN model of of sort of what we've seen about how you like when Tom had to fire that host who's read Mein Kampf uh, a, a couple times. A uh, couple times. A couple times. <laughs> you missed some Easter eggs in there the first time. Yeah. Um. And Kendall is completely an outsider here. And we, it's really interesting to see the Roy family dynamics because it's, they're all working for Logan and backstabbing each other while Kendall's on the periphery. Kendall's kind of just looming because he's still impacting everybody even when he's not in the room with them. Yeah, he has a he has a very odd presence, and and a couple times we've talked about. I've predicted Kendall making a an actual grab at the power of the family, and there's still part of me that just thinks, in some convoluted way, Kendall's going to reemerge and not, you know, be crying on his girlfriend's lap at the end of an episode. Well, I jumped ahead to episode seven, but. He, he just has such an interesting presence. He has a stake in the company. He's family, you know, any other person they would have thrown under the bus. But, but they're keeping him around. And he, he is, at the end of the day, somewhat of an influential player because of his stake in the company. Because in a really messed up way, he might be the best head of ATN or head of Waystar Royco out of the kids. Yeah. Just because, I mean, he, he thinks, I mean, he, he's a business school indoctrinate. I mean, 
all the other kids are just crashing and burning. So it's yeah. not much of a comparison. But but it's he just his influence is there. It's not going away, but he is just getting thrown in the dirt time and time and time and time again. And and you can see it. What was really interesting is what what the rest of the family doesn't know is at the beginning of the episode he is floundering as well. He fires his 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 lawyer who he stole from Shiv and the family. Not, not a great move. And he bombed in a way the deposition in that by losing Greg and not having enough of a smoking gun in a way. Now the FBI still did raid Waystar, so um, they they must have not. You know they were hoping for more evidence. Kendall's not really providing it. He's more of just this voice tweeting because he wants his Twitter to be fire and saying all the right things in public about what's going on, but he doesn't have enough evidence to really put legal pressure on his dad and his siblings to join him. And so he's in desperate need of an ally, desperate need. And he gets this text from Greg, which is one of the things that the show does really, really well in that Tom and Greg are clearly having this conversation and they're in the background then of the next couple scenes, clearly plotting out their move while they're not participating in the main scene but they're still in the camera shot, you know, whispering, texting, setting something up. You're like, what are they doing? Because they're not involved in this president thing. So what are they doing? It turns out Tom has set up, or sorry, Greg has set up a secret meeting at the diner, the prison preparation diner for Tom and for Kendall, which is my favorite scene of, the episode and maybe one of my favorite scenes of of this whole uh, season in that Kendall pitches him. Tom is listening. But Tom doesn't immediately jump on board because he says something that is so true is that Tom says basically that he thinks Kendall's going to get screwed and he's never seen Logan get screwed, but he's seen it happen to Kendall. You know, he, and I've seen it happen to you a lot. And this is a guy who's going to go to jail. And so he's already getting screwed out of this. And so, and he's still sticking with Logan, which was just amazing. Mm-hmm. He's, he's back in the power suit. And, you know, it's kind of a bottom line business. And even though Logan thought there was a dead cat, you know, almost lost control of the company. His kids, you don't really know if they like him or hate him. I mean, go down the list of bad things that happen. And after all that, he's he's still the one at the helm picking the next president of the free world. Yeah. So, you know, Tom puts the cherry on top of Logan maintaining power, at least for the foreseeable future. And so... I still- at some point, something's going to happen, but yes, but that's just irrational hypotheticals. And so they end up choosing Roman's guy, the the right winger Menken, who Shiv does not like. And what was a really coolest as they get ready for the family picture, 
which is something that we see in the opening credits, which is really cool. Shiv is um, not down. She is she is not down for this picture. And Logan, Logan again, just is just like, are you a part of this family or not? And Shiv desperately wants to be a part of the family. She desperately wants her dad to just say, I love you in an actual, genuine, like, way. And Shiv, Shiv gives in. She's like, I'll be in the picture, but not next to him. As if that does anything or some type of deniability when it's like, oh, did you support this guy? Like, when she goes on the version of the late night comedy show that Kendall wanted to be on. Like, <laughs> well, you're in the picture. Well, I wasn't next to him. Like, that doesn't really, you know. Yeah, you're not exactly driving home your point. Yeah, but it was, again, Logan just asserting his dominance over every single person in the family, which he's done repeatedly throughout the entire show. But, again, to Shiv, just like, you can go and be like Kendall and not be a part of this this family and get and be an outsider and face my wrath in a way, or you can be a part of the family. Or at least sort of part of the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fall in line or get left behind. And we saw what she did. And I mean, he, he's back at the helm, Dave. And then, so it moves perfectly into episode seven, which is a Logan again is at the helm, even though he's not on camera a lot, the influence of Logan at Kendall's birthday party is pretty much in every single scene. Mm-hmm. So now I'll do more of a, a recap. So it's Kendall's birthday. It the episode starts with um, they're they're celebrating as it seems like the charges are not going to stick. Terminal Tom is now remission Tom. He will not be going to prison, which leads to a great scene with Greg at the office. Um, they get ready for Kendall's birthday, but Logan has sent the children on an assignment, which is there is a business deal that Kendall is trying to work out or potentially sabotage with a coder streaming platform guy. There's basically like the idea is Waystar has an app like Netflix, but the tech stinks. And so they're trying to acquire someone who would make the tech better because they have all the shows and movies, but they need you know, the app to basically work. Mm-hmm. And so they're at the birthday. Shiv and Roman are tasked with trying to get that guy on board with with uh, with Logan's side. Kendall's trying to keep him on his side. So there's always a business deal going on. So at this birthday, things are going crazy. Greg's trying to ask a girl out, which goes beautifully as well as we could have ever imagined. And uh, there's great Tom and Shiv stuff. There's great Shiv stuff. And Connor and eventually ends with Kendall saying the heartbreaking line, I wish I was home. And we just see the spiraling out of control of the entire family. And it it brings this is what the show does best, which is nothing like you could say nothing happened in a way, but they're all together. And it leads to just incredibly dramatic and captivating TV where we know stuff is from this is going to lead to other things in a couple episodes. Mm-hmm. But even if in, it's not like a Law & Order episode where 
it's A to B to C to D, right? There's a lot of plot building. And yeah. this was one of my favorite episodes, maybe of the whole show so far. Yeah, it's it's really emblematic, I think, of the season, where if you jump in and you've never seen it before and you don't know the backstory and you don't know the details, you might not think it's a great episode or a great season, just because it, it, it is a lot of build-up. But... A, if you appreciate the dynamics, it's fascinating to watch all these characters develop and interact and just the underlying tensions at play. And B, it really all is leading up to some crazy end to the season, which I have no idea what it's going to be. But it's just building up to a climax of of something. Um and it's, I mean, all four kids being together, it doesn't happen often, but whenever it does, it leads to just usually Kendall sad. But then also just fascinating dynamics between the other, the other children. And, you know, again, Roman, the dark horse of them all, kind of comes out on top by getting this deal for the coder to, to join Waystar. It's, it was. It, it, I think you hit the nail on the head. It was an incredible episode, even though it was just kind of people talking at a party. Yeah. So, so let's break it down from from the beginning. So they're in the Waystar office. We find out in episode six that Logan and his aide are definitely uh, enjoying some extracurricular activities. That's a good way of putting it. Um, and it's even more so in episode seven as. She just sort of just says what she thinks, and she just is like, "Yeah, I, you know, why are we going to overpay for this guy? He's made one thing of tech." And Shiv and Romer are like, "Why are you talking? Like, <laughs> like I like you should be fearful of him the way that we are fearful." Um, and why are he listening to you instead of us? Like, uh, again, it creates the jealousy of these of the children of like, how does Dad love us? <laughs> and then we flash to Kendall's birthday where I have this for the quote of the week, but he's singing. He wants to sing again, which throwback to season two, one of the best scenes in the history of television is painful is when he raps L to the OG for Logan's birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's singing. We, the only part that we see him sing is, the, is with the lyrics, honesty is such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue, which is literally his life. He's the only one trying to be honest and he's completely alone. And all of his siblings are lying to themselves and lying to the world because they know everything that's going on with Logan, but they won't, they won't speak out. They fall is, in line. Yeah. Which is, which is really sad to see that this guy who's trying to do all the right things and yet failing in so many other ways of his life he just can't get it right he can't get it right so then at the party Logan through Roman gives him a birthday card that he savagely crosses out the happy birthday and (laughs) it's an offer for to, to buy Kendall shares in the company, which, spoiler alert, 
It's like $2 billion worth of shares. Yeah, not too shabby of a payout. Which Kendall's girlfriend, Naomi Pierce, is like, it's kind of a lot of money, dude. Like, maybe you should think about it. And it, it's, just, it's just when you click pause, any rational person, having gone through what Kendall's gone through, trying to stay involved in the company, would see a $2 billion payout, which you can do ju- You can do anything you want for the rest of your life with $2 billion. It's true. But, and just get, get away from it. But think about it this way. As Kendall says, he's not going to keep letting his dad live live rent-free in his head. Kendall lives rent-free in Logan's head. So the longer sure. and the more that Kendall's in and still a part of the company, whether he has any shares, whether or not he has any power, but just him being a major shareholder, Logan is still thinking about Kendall. And that yeah. may let him or make him make a mistake somewhere else because he's so focused on Kendall. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 in a way what Kendall wants. Does he want the $2 billion in the money? No. He wants his dad to be kind to him. <laughs> Basically. So Kendall and Roman pitch the, the coder Matson in a treehouse, which is just so poetic for these kids who never really had a childhood and a dad who would never build them a treehouse. Um, having these discussions in a treehouse... Roman Roman is able to seal the deal. Um, Shiv is spiraling out of control and ends up just dancing, getting all the demons out in the middle of, of a circle where it was so vigor the dancing was so vigorous that people ended up clearing out of the way, which was just a great little piece there. And it's time to talk about Roman versus Kendall and that tragic scene at, at the end where they are just yelling at each other in, in a way and lashing out at, at each other. Like, what were your thoughts when you're watching Roman basically telling Kendall to punch him in the face? I mean, it, it really goes back to if there's one character who has been broken time and time again, it's Kendall. And you see, I mean, normally if somebody pushes you around, you know, you might see in a TV show, you punch him back. And especially if it's family, it's always like, oh, you can punch your brother and it's fine. But you just see this shell of a person who, I mean, he's like a golden retriever in how he acts. He he just distracted. You know, he wants to throw a big party. Great. No, he wants to look like an asshole. Great. Excuse my language. Oh, he doesn't want to look like that kind of person who throws a party for himself. Oh, he wants this legal counsel. Oh, he doesn't. Oh, he's excited to see his family. Oh, he won't let him into a treehouse. I mean, there's no consistency because he is just, he's just been broken. I mean, it's really the downfall of the type of company that Waystar is in that there is harm that's created. And in the family, it's really all directed, not all, but most of it is directed at Kendall. And at the end, we just see him leave his own birthday party after getting pushed down by his little brother. And, 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 and it's even more, you know, heartbreaking in a way because in the previous season, when Logan smacked, Ken, smacked Roman in the face, 
Kendall stood up for him. Kendall jumped right in and said, you can't do that. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, Kendall really cares about his siblings. And yeah. it doesn't seem like his siblings really care about him. And you said it perfectly. Kendall's a broken person. And we see the spiral start when he gets the offer. Then his ex-wife comes and says that, hey, your, your, your kid's got you a present. And then he can't find the present. And it's just he's just spiraling and spiraling and spiraling until we see him at the end where he just says, I, I wish I was home. And this was supposed to be a, a fun night. It's like everything with the Royce. Things, things that are supposed to start as fun end up as breaking them all even more. Oh, and absolutely. The only one who had a good night was, was Greg. Well, and Roman. Well, kind of. Roman, Roman, I don't think, ever has any fun ever because he's just doing whatever he can for his dad. Like, nothing Roman did last in, at Kendall's birthday party was for him. Or something he wanted to do is it was just like how do I get my dad's approval and maybe that's what he wants more than more than anything, but the only one who succeeded was Greg, as he wanted to ask out Kendall's PR uh, girl. Uh, all he asked everyone and they all say she's out of your league. Don't do it. It's Kendall's like she works for me, bro. Like no. And he just he just goes he goes for it and she says yes he she asks he, Greg asks her out and only the way that that Greg can and it's unclear if she knows about the Greenpeace situation but um, <laughs> I can't wait to see how this relationship d- develops. It's it's going to be amazing and, and I want to go back to one thing that you said, which is Kendall saying I want to go home. I don't actually think he was, obviously he wanted to leave the party, but I think that was him kind of acknowledging he wants to go metaphorically home back into the family. You know, he doesn't want to be blocked by his father. He doesn't want his siblings showing up, not out of familial obligation, but out of, you know, business. And he doesn't want his dad's birthday present to be a crossed-off happy birthday card with a term sheet for him. Yeah. So it's, it, it is, I mean, it, it goes back to, you know, what we've agreed upon. He's just broken, and he loses, the other kids lose. I completely agree Roman loses, but as we both care about, Cousin Greg does win. So there's a little bit of a silver lining. Greg, Gr- Greg stays winning in... In all these episodes, including, so, <laughs> including he gets then to hang out with Tom again, a happy Tom yeah, or a happier yeah, they, Tom. They, my quote of the week is, shall we try the compliment tunnel? And <laughs> that just, they're back. They're back, Dave. That's a great one. And then Tom following up with, I took the wrong drugs in the wrong order. Yeah. I mean, just their, their relationship is truly something special. And what's really interesting is one of the reasons why I really like this episode is it's sort of the reverse of the first season episode where it's Tom's bachelor party where if you think about like Kendall and Roman together, Tom and Greg together, Connor on his own, like 
everything sort of flipped from season one. Like, in that season one episode, Tom's like, I'm having the time of my life, Greg. And Greg's like, this is nightmarish. Mm-hmm. Flip to Greg's like, this is great. And Tom's like, I, like, I can't be happy. I'm not like, happy in the compliment title. Exactly. Um, Kendall is, Kendall's still out of control, but in a different way. And, yeah. and Roman is, instead of scheming to basically get all his family members in the most trouble as possible, he's matured in a way that, like, yeah, he's at this party. He's still kind of a jerk, but he's making business deals. Like, Roman isn't lining himself up to be the killer that Logan wants to run the company. Like, Roman, if this was Las Vegas, would be the betting favorite to be CEO, which any shareholder of Waystar Royco should be terrified of. Absolutely horrified. This is a guy who doesn't give his own opinion for anything. He just does whatever his dad wants. Mm-hmm. So, all right. T- time for Tom and Greg, but buddy cop corner. If Would you rather see the two of them in a prison spinoff of Tom and Greg conquering prison or just an entire episode of just Tom and Greg in the compliment tunnel? I'm going to go with secret option C and both, Dave. Okay. I I, I need both in my life. (laughs) I do at one point want there to be a Tom and Greg spinoff, not just Tom and Greg in prison, but Tom and Greg go to college together, 21 Jump Street, (laughs) Tom and Greg get old together, Tom and Greg go to Vegas. I mean, I just want all the experiences with Tom and Greg inserted. I mean... With that that said, I do just love the dynamic they add. I mean... You have a serious episode, and then they have the diner interaction, and you're like, "Wow, this is this is the chuckle I needed on a Sunday night." As 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 they're both you know sharing things that they're reading about prison, and Tom's yeah. like, and Tom's like, "I've read the prison blogs too." <laughs> yeah, it's just it's incredible. I mean, I don't know who the writer is who came up with all these lines. And I don't know if, like, they started off being serious and just turned satirical, but they're absolutely incredible, and I want both an episode of Tom and Greg in the Tunnel, I want a show spun off about them, but most importantly, I just don't want them to go anywhere. And and, and I think that we, we, we've now seen Tom destroy Greg's office multiple times, throw stuff at him multiple times. We're now in a place where Tom needs to give Greg a warning. Like, hey, I'm going to destroy your desk. Like, take, you know, you, you, you can take your computer off. Like, the, the coming computer of whatever. But, like, if it's your own personal computer, like, all right, put, put in your backpack. I'm going to flip I'm gonna flip the desk right now. Take your peanut butter and jelly sandwich that you're going to eat for lunch. I'm going to break your entire office. Exactly. Which was, which was a great scene. There's Tom at his most primal. And Greg at his most confused and fearful. Mm-hmm. Just like in season two when they're in the, the not-so-safe safe room. And Greg tries to quit and Tom just starts throwing water bottles at him. Um, which was Good old-fashioned water <laughs> bottle toss. Which was, which was a, great, a great scene. So, quotes, quotes of the week. I've already said a couple. Do, do you have... Do you have at, do you have any more? I mean, the 
now we try to compliment Tunnel. I mean, I, I just, I died. I died. Yeah. Um, in, in a weird way, I thought one of the funniest lines was when, and it really just shows the control that Logan has, was when they finally got the announcement that they were just going to, you know, have to settle for a number. And Logan says, and to justice. And everybody, like, keeps a straight face. I don't know yeah. why. Just, it cracked me up. It absolutely cracked me up. Because, obviously, it's not to justice. But everybody just kind of goes with it. Yes, that that's a great one. And, and my they put it in the preview, but it worked really well. In the episode two was Shiv asking Kendall who's here and him saying everyone and all his siblings respond except your dad, you know, <laughs> and your, 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 your dad, your mom, and your wife and kids, which yeah, then yeah. ruins Kendall at the end when he can't find his kid's birthday present. So yeah. we have two episodes left. Something crazy is going to happen. It looks like Kendall has shaved his head. It looks like that they're back traveling the world, which is always fun to see the Roys out and about. It's been a very New York-centric season. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but... The Watch Ro- what you say about the city, Dave. Watch what you say. But the Roys do their best work in international waters. Um, planes, that's, yachts, castles. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that is a... That's a controversial take. <laughs> really? Well, no, I'm I'm saying what happened in international waters on cruises. Right. Well, okay, that necessarily that wasn't the Roy's, but as as a family, it leads to the best episodes when when they're not just in the city, but when they're out at some mansion. Absolutely. In you know, seemingly in in England or Scotland, where like where Logan is from. And they just all have to just talk to each other because they're just all in the same spot, which leads to the best episodes. Yeah, it usually doesn't go well. So, all right, JR, one one prediction for, for next week's episode. One prediction. <laughs> well, you know this about me, Dave. I don't actually watch the preview for next week's episode. Yeah, so, it's, it, that, that's just weird. It, it, it's a little strange. Do I wish I did? Kind of. Am I stubborn enough to hold the line? Absolutely. So, what's my prediction? Knowing absolutely nothing and not having a little cookie crumb trail like you do. I think the episode, I feel like it's going to center around shit. I mean... I agree. I agree. We've seen the first, what, three seasons just completely steady staying away from the family, coming in at opportunistic times, and really just staying above board, but still being involved. And recently, I mean, we've seen her really, I mean, her marriage is going down the drain. She's really just terrible to Tom. Fully. We've seen her career go down the drain. Fully. Because she really doesn't have one. No. We've seen... I mean, let's just quick pause. She could have been chief of staff to the president. Yeah. I mean, she just she could have blurred a lot of ethical lines while still maintaining her career, but she chose secret option C, which is nothing. So I think 
something has to give with her. I mean, she's not in good standing with Tom. She's not in good standing with the career. She's not in good standing with Logan or the family. I don't know if she goes to Kendall, but I think we see a breaking point where maybe Logan pushes her out as well. Well, I think it's going to center around Shiv. Maybe she gets left on a remote island in the Mediterranean. I don't know, but something's going to happen with Shiv. Well, great minds think alike because my prediction was Shiv-centric too, that she's going to start to push back against the family. Not only is her dad turning against her, Roman's turning against her. Kendall has been mean to her, but I, I don't know if they could team up, but I, I think we're going to see a Shiv lane. Like that third lane where it's going to lead to like a great FBI conversation of like, are you working with your brother? And she's like, no, but we both want the same thing. But like, I don't like my brother enough to like join with him. Uh but I, I totally agree with you. Something with Shiv is, is going to happen, and it's going to be great because then it's just going to leave Logan just with Roman, which and, and is going to be great. Kind of, and kind of Connor. We, no, we, no, no, no. Connor has 1% of the presidential poll. Dave, we, we forgot to talk about the fact that there was maybe seven minutes in the episode where – you kind of in the back of your mind began to think it's Connor going to make a real play for president. Like they, they, is he, could he, he will, he will, he has JR. He's polling at one whole percent. That is way. Just think about the positive momentum. Like the con heads are real. He is making, he is, he's making an inroads with the people of this country over his no tax agenda. Not sure how that, you know, solves, you know, well, I've heard of tax cuts. I've never heard of no taxes. Dave, Dave, no taxes for anyone. Especially him. Government funded. It, very interesting. It's one of those policies that the more you think about it, the less sense it makes. That's, that's just, that's how it is. That's how it is. And I think that is very emblematic of who Connor Roy is. Yeah, but coming from Connor, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Shiv does next. She She's the next domino who's going to make a move. And it's, it's going to be control. something. Yeah. So anyway, JR, always a pleasure. We will talk to you next week. Hopefully you find a compliment tunnel that that you can venture down and you have a better experience than than Tom. All we want in life is to go down a compliment tunnel with our best friend. <laughs> Talk to you next week. Goodbye, David Dixon. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. Also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back next week. Take care and make it a great day.